Hi, this is Sarah from Oklahoma. Dusted is a StoryWonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash StoryWonk. Thanks. everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your simultaneously creeped out and comforted Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> A little more of the one than the other <laughs> right now. This week we are watching episode six of season three of Angel Billy, and though we don't usually do this at the top of the show... Consider this your trigger warning for rank and vile misogyny and violence against women. I know that some of you don't watch the episodes of Angel before you listen to our discussions of them here on Dusted. If you haven't seen this episode, you should probably not listen to this podcast. If you are feeling particularly vulnerable, if you are feeling particularly sensitive, if you do not think that you have the strength for dealing with some very, very difficult subject matter... Maybe postpone this episode for a few weeks. Maybe put it in a drawer and, and come back on Thursday when we discuss <laughs> a not very good episode of Buffy. <laughs> but a not very good episode that is at least relatively harmless. At least relatively harmless. Yeah. Um, this episode, while it does deal with a lot of these issues, deals with it in a way that I think is necessary and that talks sure. about them in ways that that earn the space. We've talked a lot yes. on this show about if you're going to talk about something that is troubling, that is disturbing, um, then you need to earn it. You can't use it just for the shock value yeah, and then there is walk an away. Obligation upon you as a storyteller yes. to, to make that material count for something. Exactly. And I think that Billy does that. I, I absolutely think that Billy does that. So for those of you for whom this is a big trigger, and I have to say it was a little difficult for me to to watch sure. it and to talk about it, um, I still think that if you can, when you can come back to it, this is an incredibly valuable piece of television, I think always, but especially now. Yes. Yeah. Take us into our production history. I certainly will. This episode aired on October 29th, 2001, and is written by Tim Minear and Jeffrey Bell. This is Minear's 14th episode of Angel and Bell's second. Minear's highest ranking episode on the big list is Sanctuary, which shares the number three spot with Jim Koof's 5x5. Bell's highest episode on the big list is That Vision Thing at number nine. These are heavy hitters, and this is their first outing together, I have to admit even before I got into the episode and remembered how amazing it was, I was really looking forward to those two working together. Sure. Two top 10 writers out of a list that is currently 45 stories long. Mm -hmm. It's impressive. And they had a little help because both of the scenes within Lila's apartment, the angel scene, and then later the longer Cordelia scene, were written by Joss Whedon. Oh, and they were fantastic. Some of my favorite Lila happens in this episode. Uh, I think, yes, by by (laughs) quite some margin. That is true. This episode was directed by David Grossman. This is Grossman's third of four episodes that he'll direct for Angel. We have seen his work previously in I Will Remember You and The Shroud of Ramon. This episode completely, purposefully, violently redefines what Angel can look like. This is 
an astonishing piece of work just from a visual perspective. I think absolutely. It does have a cohesiveness to it, even though we're in some different settings, we're in some different places. It feels like Angel. It feels mm-hmm. like that that gritty, noir, L.A. streets kind of version of, of this world. And I quite like it. I think it's really nicely done. There are things that are done in this episode, particularly in the Wesley storyline, oh, yeah. which have not been done anywhere else in Angel mm-hmm. and, and will not be done often in Angel. This is such a striking episode of television. It is. And we use a nice bit of visual subtlety to make these things work. It feels as as dangerous and internal and invasive as it looks. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mention subtlety because this episode has a really complex approach to the hard, the startling juxtaposition of the subtle and the violently unsubtle. Yes. Mm-hmm. We get some really hard cuts within this episode. It, it's, well, there's a lot to talk about. There certainly is. Let's get into it, shall we? And begin at the beginning. In the basement of the Hyperion, Angel trains Cordelia in defensive sword techniques, but she wants to learn to fight, not just wait for someone to come and save her. And it turns out that her years in the cheer squad have left her with some applicable skills. At Wolfram and Hart, Lila discovers that Billy, the young man Angel rescued from the transdimensional prison, has returned from a three-day walkabout. Gavin and Lila spar before they're interrupted by Billy's uncle, Congressman Blim, who takes Billy home. Lila warns Gavin off her clients, and Gavin brutally attacks her, all while Billy walks out of Wolfram and Hart, smiling. This is a Two and a half minute cold open. Oh my God. And it is so efficient at what it does. Mm-hmm. First, we open with this incredibly empowering moment for Cordelia, which, by the way, I love. I love Cordelia learning to fight. Yes. I love that moment where she says, I'm not going to wait for you to save me. I may need to use this, you know, on you. Yes. It's a really <laughs> nice moment. I love that. And then we move into this space with Lila and Gavin. And Lila has always had the upper hand with Gavin. She's always always been smarter she's always been tougher she's always been meaner and at at her best yes yes exactly in this moment to have gavin turn that around on her and just kind of minimize her into this this caricature of of nasty womanhood you know Mm -hmm. um it is it is so disturbing and it's so upsetting and any woman who has ever had any man say anything even remotely similar to that can feel that within her soul sure. for the rest of her life. So it does, I think, resonate a little bit in a very uncomfortable way. Sure. Um, and and that moment with Gavin, where he is somebody who wouldn't even like fight Angel in any direct way. He seems very meek, mild-mannered. He's a paperwork kind of guy. Sure. To turn around and be that suddenly brutal in this unexpected place, it's really disturbing yes because it's it's a double twist almost mm-hmm. we get this swing to emotional brutality which is surprising but not necessarily inconsistent mm-hmm. with gavin we've never really seen gavin we've never driven seen to the physical edge. violence i mean this is a guy who who fights angel no, no, with paperwork. But that yeah. first beat when he he his tone changes oh yeah with Lila, the switch to to that emotional brutality that's sudden but not surprising yeah the switch to physical brutality is the single most shocking moment that we've ever seen in Angel. Oh, I it's think so. Breathtaking. And Daniel Day audacity. Kim does a great job with that. Of course, Daniel Day Kim is fantastic. Yeah, he's but amazing. Yeah, it's That's it's very incredibly difficult, difficult mm-hmm. to watch. I don't want to skip over the opening scene with Cordelia though, because 
This is very likely series best Cordelia. This is my Cordelia. This is the girl that I know that I recognize. She's tough. She's strong. She's independent. And repeatedly throughout the episode, she is able to integrate all the different versions of Cordelia that we've yes. seen previously mm-hmm. into this this whole and fully realized person. It's a best of all of those versions of Cordelia. Right, you know, without feeling of, like a clip show. Without <laughs> feeling like a clip show, without feeling, you know, fractured. It yeah. does feel like a complete vision of her. I love this representation of her. Is there anything to the potentially slightly patriarchal uh, perspective that Angel offers right at the beginning of the episode, that he's happy to teach her to defend herself, but when challenged, he's uncomfortable with with giving her agency, with handing her capability. I think that's the other side of sexism. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is kind of a loving sexism where there are, you know, men want to protect the women, that Mm -hmm. there is this sense that they need to care for them. But within that is also this implication that the woman is somehow not equal to the man, that the woman is somehow not as capable as the man. And I like the way we very gently and lovingly set that aside. Yes, this is the way the angel approaches Cordelia. And Cordelia is not getting upset about it. She's not angry. She understands where it comes from while at the same time correcting him. I'm not sure that I see it in in quite those terms. Mm -hmm. And we have to perhaps squint a little bit and we have to be aware of the rest of Angel's history here. Because Angel didn't hesitate to fight alongside Buffy. Mm -hmm. Angel doesn't, it seems to me, have a problem with women. Yes. Women and violence in Mm -hmm. particular. He has fought tooth and nail against Darla, against Drusilla. He doesn't seem to be particularly patriarchal when it comes Mm -hmm. to the limits of violence. It seems to me in that opening scene that he's protecting Cordelia specifically. And he's protecting Cordelia because Cordelia doesn't know how to fight. Because Cordelia doesn't know how to fight. And because she's also not superpowered. I mean, sure. all of those women are superpowered. But also, he allows Gunn and Wesley, who are also not superpowered, right. to fight but right alongside are him. are trained. But are trained, yes. So- but training Cordelia, his his... His desire to train Cordelia to stave off a fight until he can come and save her, I think is a bit patriarchal and I think does need to be challenged. I think it's possible to see it Mm -hmm. that way. I don't think there's enough in the text to give us a definitive answer, but I think it's also possible to find another explanation Mm -hmm. for Angel's behavior here. That rather than demonstrating a reluctance to empower Cordelia, Mm -hmm. there's something here about the darkness that you take onto yourself when mm-hmm. you learn to fight. You well, know? and noir stories are all about protecting the innocent as exactly much as right. possible. So there could definitely be an element of that in there. So that's not at all to to minimize mm-hmm. your perspective on this. I do think that's a valid and interesting perspective, but it's not to me a completely definitive mm-hmm. one. I don't think the the episode makes a bold enough statement in that direction for us to be sure. So if you want <laughs> to believe that Angel's, you know, better and more more feminist than this, mm-hmm. I think it's possible to look at there that. There are scene ways and, to do that, certainly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. To to see other explanations mm-hmm. that, that motivate his behavior there. After the credits at Wesley's apartment, the investigators are enjoying some social time with video games and with coffee. Wesley is thinking about giving Fred some one-on-one training. Wink. But Cordelia suggests that he just date her instead. He's cautious, but Cordelia's gentle advice is interrupted by a sudden, violent vision. A man is attacking a woman in a convenience store, though by the time the teams are mobilizing to investigate, Cordelia has realized something more. This attack happened a week ago. At the Hyperion, Wesley has gathered all the paperwork pertaining to the case. The husband was trying to get his wife to stop talking, and things got suddenly and violently out of hand. 
but before the crime occurred, surveillance photographs captured Billy at the scene. After some brief explanations, Cordelia is racked with guilt. Angel rescued Billy to save her life, after all, and Angel tells her that he would do it again, but she is not responsible, and neither is he. The responsibility rests with Lila. I love this moment because one of the things that we tend to do with our heroes, and this is across fiction in general, is make them incredibly, you know, uh, guilty, responsible for everything, that they always feel bad about everything, that they're never good enough, that Which they can always be gooder, you is know? not necessarily a bad thing when you're looking at the lines of conflict in your story because making someone feel guilty making one of your characters feel feel guilty giving them that responsibility motivates exactly and and so there is that's a useful band-aid for your plot but a lot of times we find people feeling guilty and responsible for things which are not their fault and i think it is very important this moment when angel says it is not your fault and it's not my fault this lies on lila And I think that that is completely appropriate. I think that we have a skewed vision of who is at fault for particular things, you know. It is appropriate, I think. I think that Angel is right, Mm -hmm. but Cordelia clearly doesn't hear it. She Mm -hmm. can't hear it. She still feels responsible throughout the entire episode. What do we make of that? Is she wrong to feel responsible? Is she wrong to take action? Uh, She's not wrong to take action. You can take action because you are a person who fights for good and all of that. Um, And she may want to just simply fix this thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea that this is in any way her fault, and I think we find a nice reflection of that later, that Cordelia is taking responsibility for this thing Mm -hmm. in that she is going to do what she can to see it through while not being at fault for it. She talks to Lila, you know, later on and, and makes that statement. Yeah, I'm not sure that I buy it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that Cordelia buys it. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that she genuinely believes that this isn't her fault. I I need to perhaps think more carefully about her. I'm I'm okay with it being complex. Mm-hmm. I like that she says it. Yeah, least. no, that is important. I You're like right. that we are, you know, actually outright in the text stating mm. this is Lila's fault. Yes. This is Lila's responsibility. And in the end, the person who does take responsibility is Lila. So I like that we follow that through. Sure. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What do we think about Wesley and Cordelia in this this oh my opening God. scene? I love it. Wesley all but confessing Cordy. his feelings for Fred. And, and Cordy being, you know, um, being really perceptive about mm-hmm. what's going on and not making a big, you know, we're not doing dumb, goofy Wesley no. and joking around with it. It's a real nice connected moment between Wesley and Cordy, which I really like. And I love the way that he looking at Fred and Fred is just sitting there of course looking at Gunn and um, so I think we're seeing hints of, of you know complications there but it is it's really incredibly sweet and I just love it. It is adorable and it's nice seeing them in that environment. It's yeah. an interesting choice I think to have this scene take place in Wesley's in apartment. In Wesley's apartment. Yeah. Which we need technically speaking mm-hmm. so that we can foreshadow the final scene. Yes. But there's also an intimacy that's kindled yes. here. Mm-hmm. There's something very specific happening because this is not, you know, work. Right. This mm-hmm. is not, they, they have gone to a place in order to time. be social together. Exactly. And that's really rather lovely. Yeah. And then when we get the twist, when mm-hmm. we find out that actually Wesley was inviting Fred to a private romantic dinner mm-hmm. and apparently bailed at the last moment, <laughs> 
<laughs> there is backstory there that I find completely adorable. I love that. And I also love that Cordy sees all. Cordy is, you know, picking oh, up on everything. This Cordelia yes. is so, love her. so great. She's fantastic all the way through. So speaking of responsibility, Angel visits Lila's apartment and kicks in the door. She's drinking alone in the shadows, but when she gets to her feet, Angel sees her bruised and bleeding. Lila tells him that Billy is connected to the most powerful family in the United States, and that she doesn't believe his chivalric concern. He notes that her hands are shaking, and she slams the door in his face. This is so great. Yeah. When she comes out of the shadows and you see how brutally she has been beaten. Yes. And when she says, I don't buy this chivalric concern from the one man who I know really actually wants to kill me. Which is, I mean, <laughs> it's not a nice, true. It's a nice line, though. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> no, and I completely believe <laughs> and it from Lila. I completely Lila. believe yeah, it from She doesn't her. have to be right in order right. For, for this to mm-hmm. feel appropriately motivated. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. When she's sitting in the shadows. Yes. We are obviously, you know, through a lifetime of watching television, mm-hmm. we're cued to expect this reveal. That there's going to be. Yeah. But when the reveal comes, it is so much worse it is so much more, more human the right. fact that the makeup is not overplayed right. here mm-hmm. just makes it worse and it's not pretty no sometimes it's we not like the glamorous to, little cut exactly, above the eye the know? little yeah exactly like a little bit but not so yeah. much that we can't like have her beauty shine through they don't right. have regular makeup on her they have this devastating brutal makeup on her and it is so wonderfully done. I love that they do that. Right at the very end of the episode with the final scene with Wesley, yeah. Fred has a little of that yes. Hollywood makeup going on. Ho- She's got some bruising around her Hollywood, eye, but it's, yes, exactly. it's almost, you know, <laughs> to enrich her beauty rather Hollywood than to detract trauma. from it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Lila has been... Yeah. Wow. Has been brutalized. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really, really tough to watch. Mm-hmm. And of course, this ongoing relationship between Angel and Lila remains one of the most complex and fascinating things in Angel. Oh, it really is. And I like, you know, I loved Lindsay. I really did. And I miss him sometimes. But man, Lila <laughs> is really stepping up. Lindsay I gets, like what they do with her. Lindsay gets three name checks yes. in this episode, <laughs> which seems appropriate. Well, we all miss him. We, we do. Yeah. It would have been interesting. I think that... Uh, it, it's impossible to think about this episode, to think about Christian Kane's mm-hmm. presence in this episode and not feel a little a little tug of the heartstrings yeah. because he would have been brilliant oh it would have been God. so much more powerful had it been Lindsay had rather it been than gavin Lindsay who beat but up lila yeah i also don't know if we could have found a know. way back from that i don't know if i would have had it in me this this episode as beautiful as it is as wonderfully drawn as it is is difficult enough i don't know if i could handle the weight of that as well no kidding we cut from lila's apartment to the blim estate where angel wesley and gunn are considering plans of attack angel remembers that he has super strength and leaps the gate running across the grounds and staying in cover billy sees him in the shadows though angel throws a chair through a window then strolls inside invitation free angel threatens billy but then the police arrive to arrest him having been tipped off about the location of a body billy mind tricks his way out of the handcuffs and is escorted away by the police But in the car, Billy smiles as the male police officer beats his female partner. Okay, we'll talk about Billy in just a moment. First of all, I want to talk about Angel's super strength. Yes. (laughs) He's he's pretty vampire in this episode. He's he's Batman vampire. He really is. I like it. (laughs) Batman's clear over the gate. We get him (laughs) sniffing the blood from across the street, which 
is, again, canonical thing that he can do. Absolutely. He just doesn't do it very often. Mm-hmm. And then there's the weird beat when Wesley's taking the, the handprint that's yeah. going to be so important later, mm-hmm. when Angel apparently super sprints his way across the street. Yeah. I'm not sure the way that it's cut together, whether we're supposed to think, wow, Angel can really move quickly when he wants to, or wow, it really took Wesley a long time to turn around. <laughs> Did you get a clear read on the intent of that? I, I read it as Angel is super fast. Super fast yeah. from time to time. Super fast Batman guy. This sequence is enormously powerful because mm-hmm. we get a direct introduction to Billy, which we haven't really had up to this point. His his presence in Wolfram and Hart earlier is much more ambiguous because he's in the shadow right. of Gavin and Lila, two characters that we care much more about. Mm-hmm. This is genuinely disquieting. Oh, yeah. The fact that Angel can... Strolling. This is one of the advantages of having very clear rules in yes. your mythology, because mm-hmm. when you break your rules, the audience expects something. It has a real implication. Yes. Exactly. The mm-hmm. fact that he can stroll in, and again, we just reestablished these rules when he was talking to Lila, of yes. course. But the mm-hmm. fact that Angel can just stroll through this shattered window, and Billy isn't concerned, mm-hmm. isn't worried about this intrusion. It's it's unsettling. Oh, and that actor who plays Billy is so good and unsettling and creepy and wrong. Yes, this is Justin Shilton. Yeah. He is just extraordinary. He really is. He His is creepy. energy is never less than unsettling, but it's also not one note. Yeah. We get a lot of different mm-hmm. takes on Billy through the course of the episode. We have him and Lila, for mm-hmm. example. We have him and Angel, him and Cordelia at the end. We get him and his cousin Dylan, yeah. which is a very different kind of energy, Yeah, but no less threatening, no yeah. less malevolent but also oddly mercurial. Yeah. It's it's a strange energy. He is absolutely compelling when he's on screen. Does it bother you that his name is Billy? I feel like they gave him such a G-shucks, paperboy, 1950s name, <laughs> specifically for that, that contrast. Yeah, I think that's absolutely intentional. And for me, it works really beautifully. What doesn't work for me is Blim. Yeah. That's not a name, you guys. Billy Blim is not a name. <laughs> it's not a name. Blim is a weird name. But no, Billy, for me, like, I, I appreciate that that contrast and that it is it is a little bit unsettling simply because this is such a mundane name. Exactly. Um, but I, I just feel like he needs to have a more evil name. No, I, I like the contrast there. Okay, all I like right, the, that works texture, for you. Uh, okay, the texture good. of that really works for me. Blim does not work yeah. for mm-hmm. me because that feels as though we're going one step too far. Mm-hmm. I think maybe something generic would mm-hmm. have worked well. Billy Jones, Billy sure. Smith, mm-hmm. that might have worked better because yeah. Blim is just so weird. It is really, really weird, yeah. Back at the Hyperion, Angel resolves to get to Billy first, but Fred tells him that the squad car never reached its destination and Billy is gone. At the scene, Wesley dispatches gun to the hospital. We'll never find out what happens there, but Angel has caught the scent of Billy's blood. He's not human, and he left a handprint on the wall. Angel chases Billy down as, back in the Hyperion, Cordelia loads up a bag with the best of the weapons cabinet. Fred catches her in the act and advises her not to go, but Cordelia has made the decision, and leaves right before Wesley returns with the blood sample. So we've got here some structural work. Mm -hmm. 
We have some moving pieces being correctly oriented. We have the mission to the hospital that will remove Gunn from the proceedings for 20 minutes so that he can return when he is needed most. We have the setup for Cordelia taking action, of course, Mm -hmm. and Fred's awareness of Cordelia taking action, which will lead us very directly into the confrontation with Wesley later. We have Wesley out in the field acting as the team leader, which is going to play into his sense of guilt and and horror and self-loathing at Mm -hmm. the end of the episode because it's not it seems to me just a personal response to fred he Mm -hmm. has also betrayed his position yeah which we know i think from the hints about wesley's father is is very important to wesley Mm -hmm. and then we have angel taking action we have angel directly as as the lone revenger yes he's off on the streets (laughs) again kicking down doors and taking names yeah this feels Perhaps a little self-conscious. Mm-hmm. We're kind of almost textually aware that we're, we're sending everyone off in the direction. We're resetting, they need to be. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Does this work for you? Uh, it, it does. It's very quick. One of the things that I've noticed about this particular episode is how incredibly efficient oh, uh, Meneer and Bell Fast. are yeah. in getting everything where it needs to be without you know messing around. They are doing a job and they are making it happen. And so this is a moment where uh, we are kind of moving all all of our pieces into place for the second act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really well done. I mean, it's never fun to shift all the pieces around, but I thought they did it very nicely, very quickly. And here we go. We're ready to, to move into the, the next phase of the story. Yeah. I guess it's, it's maybe a little unfortunate that all of these events take place yes, within at once. a two and a half minute mm-hmm. sequence. So if we're inclined to be aware of this kind of structural maneuvering, yeah. then we're definitely going to exactly. be aware of it when it all happens at once. But no, I think you're right. Generally, I think it, it works. But if you're not, it doesn't nicely. lay a heavy weight on the no, episode, not, which not can sometimes heavy. happen when we're shifting all the parts into place. Sure. Though I think given that the investigators are all together at the beginning of the scene and two minutes later are all alone, Mm -hmm. are all separated with the sole exception of Fred and Wesley, that I think may tip the show's hand. We may have a sense there of of where we're going next. At Lila's apartment, Cordelia demands information about Billy and she sees through Lila's facade. They talk a little about shoes, as you do, and about Billy's power, his ability to, quote, bring out a primordial misogyny. It hasn't happened to Angel yet, but it will. Though despite what Lila believes, she's never seen Angel's real dark side. Cordelia tells her what she suffered when Lila hacked her visions. It was never the pain. It was the helplessness. This isn't about sides, isn't about good and evil. This is about being a woman. There is so much to unpack. Oh my god. In this scene alone. I feel like we could do an hour on this scene alone. Uh, Yeah. Whedon generally writes very dense material Mm -hmm. but this this is at a whole other level this is incredibly dense i mean we have cordelia come in and then refer to lila as a vicious bitch Mm -hmm. right in a way that is usually used to demean and undermine women yes and then we turn that around a real vicious bitch would never stand for this there are a couple of beats here that feel as though we're we're playing with feminist and anti-feminist tropes because Mm -hmm. of course we have the use of vicious bitch a very potent piece of language that is almost being reclaimed here 
in, in a very is. deliberate it's and conscious it's way. First, it's being set up and used in that yes. very traditional, demeaning way, and then reclaimed at the end, which I think right. is incredibly powerful. And I also love their discussion of fashion and shoes, which is yes. so fast, and these two completely connect on it. But it is not used to undermine their power or their intelligence. Okay. That's true, mm-hmm. but it's still. Two women talking about shoes. Right. And you know what? Two women can talk about shoes. I understand that two women can talk about shoes, but there is a reason that women talking about shoes has become something of a thing here at StoryWonk, because this is the kind of language that more often than not is used instead of a real relationship between two female characters. Well, yeah, but it acknowledges that women can like shoes and still be smart and powerful and... does i mean i agree with you i don't i actually quite like the use of the the conversation about shoes because it empowers these women without saying that you know by having them talk about shoes somehow if they have an interest in anything that is you know traditionally associated with women or traditionally the kinds of conversations with which we demean and dismiss right female conversations that this can be all of the things that these women are and yet still show them as complete and empowered women i love this yes, scene and yeah. i agree with you mm-hmm. but if you're going to take this kind of ironic approach yes. if you're going to subvert expectation if you're going to subvert this this shoe conversation trope mm-hmm then you have to be aware that there are going to be some people who can never see past the thing itself. There are going to be some people who hate this scene Mm -hmm. because they talk about shoes. Well, there may well be, but I think that... Similarly, I think there are going to be some people who hate this scene because of the use of vicious bitch. People for whom the the subversion of this Mm -hmm. doesn't work, it doesn't land, it doesn't connect with them emotionally. Right, reclaiming the language can sometimes be really difficult for a lot of people. I actually quite like everything in this scene, and I think that anyone who ever accuses Joss Whedon of not having an understanding of feminist issues needs to watch this scene. No, again, I agree, but <laughs> I think it's that... complexity, though. I mean, he's he's seen these things in a very complex way, which I really quite appreciate. No, as do I. Yeah. But I think that it is possible to look at this scene and not be convinced by it, not mm-hmm. be won over by it, not be open to the way that it plays with these established tropes. And there is an argument, there is a real and compelling argument that you just shouldn't play with these tropes, that it's all very clever Mm -hmm. to subvert expectations in this way, but we don't actually have to have Cordelia use the phrase vicious bitch. We don't actually have to have them talking about shoes. We could have replaced that language with any other language. And then this situation, this this question wouldn't even arise in the first place. I like that he's bringing the question. I like that the question is is coming up. I like that instead of knee-jerking to these very, very safe spaces in which we are allowed to talk about what a woman is, that we can oh, see all of this. I don't think that's necessarily the case. They could have talked about literally anything. It doesn't have to be a traditionally you know, feminine conversation. We could have had them discuss Anything. No, but that you can't be feminist and like shoes. I think the fact that we we put all no, of this in one scene. No that one is that... saying that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that when you trade in these symbols, in these tropes, then you are inevitably going to... You run a risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that this is essentially... I like this scene too yeah. very, very much. I think mm-hmm. it is a fantastic scene. And if we're talking about series best Cordelia, here, here she is. Here we go, yeah. But I'm kind of... Striving to validate the opinions of mm-hmm. those who are not impressed, are not moved, are not won over mm-hmm. by the scene because the application of these tropes can, you know, cause bruises or yeah. can can reapply pressure no, to existing bruises. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
it wouldn't have hurt to to be a little less clever mm-hmm. here and be a little more honest. Yeah, I can certainly understand how touching on some of these things. They're sensitive places. They've yeah. been beaten up a little bit. And women have been, you know, beaten up with exactly these tropes. Demeaned I, and diminished exactly. and discarded. Yeah. I can understand people having a sensitive reaction to that and not particularly caring for it. Yeah. I do like it. I like that that reclamation. I like that complexity. But I can certainly understand where it would be a problem for some people. No, as I say, mm-hmm. it, it works for me too. How do we feel about this notion of primordial misogyny we have to talk about billy's power yeah we have to talk about what it is that's happening here because lila is not in any way subtle here Mm -hmm. she believes that this this violence this hatred for women Mm -hmm. is innate Mm -hmm. and that billy brings it to the surface which is clearly a a possible little textual interpretation here because wesley circles back around to that at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. do we believe that that's the case? I don't believe at all that that's the case. I don't think that misogyny is an essential element of male nature and that it must be fought to keep it tamped down. I do, what I see is the the infection of poisonous ideas yeah. um, and how contagious those poisonous ideas can be. And I think that there's a real metaphor for that in, in the real world. Sure. Um, that as we rubber stamp and say, this is okay, you know, these things are okay, that people end up behaving in ways that are not, I think, who they re- doesn't necessarily reflect who they really truly mm-hmm. are deep down inside. Um, but ideas can be dangerous, ideas can be contagious, and they have to be um, considered carefully. And this is is kind of a, a wanton and dangerous dispersion of of really vile, poisonous ideas. Well, it is kind of. And I think you're right that there is applicability mm-hmm. there with, with the real world. But Billy doesn't spread ideas. He spreads a very specific agenda. He spreads yes. a very specific kind of toxicity. And he explicitly spreads it magically. Right. But I mean, I see it as an infection, not an awakening. And I think this is something no, no, that Wesley I agree too. Yeah. is, is going to be struggling with sure. at the end of the episode as well. Is no, that I, in I, you all the time and you're just suppressing it? Yes. Or is this something that was done to you? And I think yeah. we see that through Angel too, because mm-hmm. Angel is a man. Yes. He is still, if it were this misogyny primordial and innate, presumably Angel would still be subject to it too. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm perfectly happy with the idea that this is not innate, that this is external. Right. But while there is, as I say, an applicability there to this idea of of contagion, mm-hmm. this idea of, of radicalization yes. almost, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite hang together because Billy's power is so specific. We limit his capability here Mm -hmm. to touch. Yes. He can only infect those that he touches. Do you find that more or less effective than a kind of ambient effect that wherever Billy goes, Mm -hmm. he is in the eye of the storm. I find it more effective. I actually quite like even the visual effect of it. This, this look of a glowing burn that then seeps into the other person. And then they sort of become, I I think almost possessed by this idea. Yes. Which Um, is a, a, a kind of conceptual framework that we're very accustomed right. to in, we work in with Buffy that and Angel. A lot. This is really functionally no different from Xander and the hyenas. And the hyenas, spirit. absolutely. 
not yet, but he's possessed by this. These men are possessed by this thing and therefore they are not the ones doing them. I don't, I, I can see why Lila would see it that way, that this is an innate Which, part of everyone because I think seeing the evil in everyone else helps you ignore the evil in yourself. Um, oh, that's interesting. And I think that I can see Lila having so much darkness within her, well, presuming that everybody else has that darkness sure. as well. But this is a very specific kind of darkness. I yes. mean, this isn't generic evil. This is outright and active misogyny. Do you think that Lila would draw that comparison? Do you think she would see yeah. the stains upon her own soul and compare those to this kind of... I, th- I don't think it has to do with this specific instance. I think that for her, when she sees evil, she's like, yep, looks about right to me. I think that oh, that's see, what I... she thinks is just in every soul. I, I can definitely see her viewing it through that lens, but I don't think yeah. that that's the reality of the situation. No, I interpret that very differently. Mm-hmm. I do agree that it's not the reality. Of, yes. And when we say reality, of course, we don't mean real world reality. Exactly. We mean in universe <laughs> We're talking reality. about what is, this, what is this episode actually saying about this thing? Yeah. I don't see Lila mm-hmm. conflating Billy's power, his, his ability with a general kind of, of human mm-hmm. evil. Lila is still a woman in a male-dominated world. Yes. And when she suspects when she speaks to the innate misogyny contained within the hearts of men, I think she's talking very directly about her experience. I don't see uh, a conflation there of this misogyny and and a more general kind of evil and more general kind of darkness. Because if there were, I don't know, does Lila believe that every single person in the world is corrupt? I think that Lila counts on it. I think that Lila, Lila Lila works within a world where everything she does is predicated on this idea that there is an essential corruption within everyone and that yeah. you can access it and you can reach it. And also I think that that makes that precludes her from feeling necessarily guilty about the things that she does. She does what she does because this is how it's done. This is what you do. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I read that from mm-hmm. Lila in this episode, but then again, we're trying to find consistency in yeah. a character that has been at least four different things over the course of the last no, couple of seasons. True, Lila's had some bouncing around, not quite as much as Cordelia, but but enough. You yeah, know? sure. So it, it's difficult for us to, to get a consistent read on everything that Lila is, right? Yeah. And to to find common ground there in, mm-hmm. in these varied depictions of Lila. For me, I read it as a much more personal and much more much vulnerable more moment. Yeah, much, yeah, much more specific. Because her yeah. experience, if you're a woman in a man's world, this is the kind of thing that happens to you. I mean, not getting beaten the way that Gavin Park beats her, but the yeah. kind of tiny little microaggressions well, also, that okay. you get and the and the random disrespect that you get is very real sure. and very consistent. And I but, can see how at a certain point when all in, of the men and her acquaintance treat her that way, that she would extrapolate that to all of the men. Yes, and while there is a lot of behavior that isn't, what Gavin Park does to her. Yes. Let's not pretend that that never happens either. No, no, no. It's certainly, it, that is on the spectrum. It's Absolutely there. It, is. it happens. Yeah. So to clarify this, mm-hmm. you don't believe that there is an innate misogyny in the hearts of men no. within, within the angel verse. You don't believe, I presume that there is an innate evil in the hearts of men. No. But you do believe that that's what Lila sees, that yes. Lila sees those two things as being one and the same. Yes. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm right there with you, okay. but I can definitely see it. What do we make of Cordelia's call to action at the end of this scene? That it's never about the pain. Mm-hmm. It's about the helplessness. That this is about agency. That this is right. about capability. Mm-hmm. Does that argument 
work for you then within that moral framework that we've attributed to Lila? I think it works for Lila. I think that Cordelia goes in there knowing exactly what buttons to push. And finally, Lila is the one whose buttons are being pushed and not the one doing the pushing. I actually quite like that. Yeah, I guess, again, I guess I'm not quite there yeah. with you mm-hmm. because I read Lila's intent very differently. I read Cordelia here as being completely sincere. Mm-hmm. I think that when she talks about the helplessness, when she talks about the powerlessness, when she talks about the choice being taken away from you, that that she is speaking very honestly. In part, I think I believe that because this is the first meeting mm-hmm. of Cordelia and Lila. And I'll admit I hesitated. When Lila opens the door, you must be Cordelia Chase. Yeah. I thought... <laughs> Wait. How have they not that met? Can't be How right. is this possible? This is, by the way, the 50th episode of Angel. <laughs> They've just met now for well, the first time. It is it is insane. But it's one but I think that Cordelia sees a certain sisterhood between herself and Lila. Oh, she refers so to them both as vicious bitches. Yep. I was you. You know, I mean she makes that connection. So Which I feel like I Cordelia think... understands her in a way that probably the the guys wouldn't, you know. Yeah, no, I've got no problem with Cordelia understanding yeah. Lila, and, and you're absolutely right about the, the connections between these two mm-hmm. characters. For me, I just read Cordelia as being fundamentally honest here, that this is a genuine oh, expression of power and responsibility. I don't think it's dishonest, but I think that she knows how to frame it for Lila, mm-hmm. how to frame that honesty. Angel tracks Billy and finds evidence of his influence. Billy drops by his cousin Dylan's party and makes some vague threats. Back at the Hyperion, Wesley and Fred are identifying the demonic elements within his blood, which may be how he communicates his influence. Wesley offers an odd conversational segue and asks about Cordelia, his tone growing colder. He warns Fred not to lie to him, then tells her to sit down. Men are wired a certain way, and her provocation is going to lead to trouble. He threatens her, throws her to the ground, and as she runs away upstairs, he takes off his tie and looks at the weapons cabinet. Okay, we'll deal with Wesley in just a moment. Okay. First of all, we're going to look at the cab. Mm-hmm. The guy standing around, the guy talking about, hey, you know how women can be. Yes. She was probably nagging him, and thus this was justified. Is that guy under Billy's influence? Nope. That's nope. your read of the scene? That's that's just random every day. It's in the culture. This is this is how women right. are seen by some types of men. That is extraordinarily powerful and deliberate. And complex. If that's the case. Yes. And I love that. Yes, because there is a risk. You know, we turn to fantasy stories so that we can engage with the metaphor and separate it out from the real exactly right we can abstract it we can make it something you can fight we can make it something that you can engage Mm -hmm. with deliberately when we do that though we run the risk of diminishing or of seeking to as you say reframe the real life problem Mm -hmm. when we make misogyny a magical communicable disease yeah we do run the risk of invalidating the consequences of real world misogyny. Because I I don't believe in this world or in regular life that there is an innate primordial primordial misogyny within the hearts of every man. Every man has this woman hating within him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not going to say that there aren't men who do. Um, I have have confronted them myself from time to time and it is very disturbing. Um, And we are seeing a lot of that, you know, now. Um, so it is real. It is out there. And I think the fact that we are allowing a space for both this this real mundane and yet, you know, very, very harmful, mm-hmm. you know, kind of casual misogyny, um, which I think is 
not more harmful, but like as harmful as this kind of very violent, aggressive misogyny, because it sends these messages out into the world, which some women then yeah. then absorb and say, yes, I'm, I'm sure, a nag, it, it, it I'm normalizes a bitch, this behavior. I'm yeah. bossy, I'm all of these things. Like we as women, because it is so mundane, because it is in the water of our culture, and if we don't think about it and separate it out and question it, we're not filtering it from the water exactly. that we drink, you know? So is there an argument then, with all of that in mind, is there an argument that the misogynist standing by the cab is perhaps a little overplayed? That it is perhaps a little heightened. The fact that we can mistake his apparently commonplace mm-hmm. everyday hatred of women for Billy's malign influence, does that undercut the intent of the scene then? Would it be better if he was a little, you know, a little more muted? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think we need that. And also, while he's not entirely muted, um, I have heard almost that exact like verbatim type of thing. I mean, I've heard that come from. Oh, no, I'm people not saying before. that it's not real, I mean, but I'm saying on a we're looking fairly at the f- regular basis, like not no, in sure. extraordinary circumstances. So I think that that the fact that it is vile and yet still so incredibly mundane and casual and 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 ordinary, and it, it's a real experience. Right. Absolutely, right. this is not about you know mm-hmm. what real life misogyny exactly. looks like. Exactly, and we have to separate right. that out when we're talking sure. about fiction and real life. Narratively yeah. speaking, mm-hmm. though, because this is as is intense it as it is, we might be tempted to believe that this is Billy's influence and therefore misunderstand Mm -hmm. the intent of the scene? I think that's entirely possible. I think that there's always a risk that somebody is going to to misunderstand. I I will definitely, you know, if somebody wanted to make the accusation that it is possibly a little bit clunky, um, that it feels a little bit too hard in an episode that that has a much greater dexterity with complexity. That it might have been a little more effective and that what it's doing is extremely important, narratively speaking, that it might have been more effective in its narrative role had it been a little just just a little softer I think that's possible I think that I I like it so much because uh when Angel slams him against the car I need that in that moment. Oh, I need, sure, no. But I, mean, <laughs> I need somebody to get slammed up against a car we at that could point. Have had, yeah. you know, we could have it had could her been, cake and eaten it too in this regard. Certainly. He could have been a little less stridently you know, a little less vile a little less heightened mm-hmm. and angel could still have been very well justified in slamming him against the car yeah yeah so i mean we have to talk about wesley oh my God. and obviously my recounting of this sequence is a little more thin oh yeah a little more you it's know, harrowing perfunctory it's, it's than, than it would otherwise be because it is just impossible to watch and if you ever for any reason doubted the incredible talent and skill of both alexis denisov and amy acker I mean, this is the disproof of it right here. Oh, my God. They're amazing. And and the thing that's so heartbreaking about this is that they're both victims. Yeah. Like, this is not Wesley. This is not who he is. This is not part of his soul. So you're completely comfortable with yeah. that. There's no question for you left at the end of the episode that perhaps there was something within Wesley that was brought forth. No. No, not for a moment. Right. This is not him. But to especially and I think that's what makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. What makes it even worse for Wesley is that I think that he is, you know, very quietly feminist. I think that he, you know, he treats everyone with it's respect. That you would qualify that as very quietly. No, I mean in, because in, in he's not way? he's not walking around every day saying, like, you go girl, you stand up for it. Like he's not that kind of guy. Well, he just shows no. An incredible but, amount of respect 
for he was a watcher. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that. Well, I guess no. No, we've you had, do not. We've I think had, we've seen that's, from that's the Watchers Council. <laughs> if anything can be patriarchal, no, okay. it's the freaking Watchers. Specifically, yeah. Wesley, mm-hmm. with regard to to his role as Watcher, and we saw this, I think, with Buffy, and we saw yeah. it too with Faith. I think that Wesley has always been been inclined He's had to a great deal of respect yeah. for women, and he has never ever said anything like you well, know. Well, okay. We can't, when we're talking about Wesley, well, use words like never or right, use right, words right. like always because he absolutely has. He has been completely vile to Cordelia in badly written oh, scenes. Oh, no, we're but right. But we don't that's feel right. like those are. But that's not my Wesley. <laughs> yeah, we don't feel that those are core to no, Wesley's has, experience. He has had, but I don't think that that is, I don't think that that is the characterization of Wesley. I don't think that any of that was ever deliberately right, meant but, to portray him. But you're right. You're <laughs> absolutely true. right. I'm, I'm saying that I'm canon, comfortable with I whistle, it too. I whistle it right out of my understanding of Wesley. But, you're right. Yes, yes. If we're looking very closely at the text. Oh, yeah. No, there, he said some he terrible things. He has said things. some vile things. He has said yeah. some terrible things. But I don't think that this is ever, this is part of his characterization intentionally. No, I, don't I don't think, think he so was either. ever intentionally meant to be portrayed that way. And I see him as the kind of guy, you know, for whom that is a huge part of his sense of himself. So mm-hmm. for him to be put into this kind of role, for him to be so vile and so awful too, of all all people fred yeah you know um i think that this is exactly the kind of thing that would make him question is he that kind of man especially because we don't we well, haven't seen a whole lot about his upbringing but we know that his dad was not a great guy too. no yeah. what what absolutely seals this for me is the way that this consumes him at the end oh, of the episode absolutely because again we're pretty comfortable Right. Within Buffy, within Angel, with mm-hmm. the idea of possession and the removal, therefore, of agency. Yes. Mm-hmm. But this is not that. Well, that's a, a terrifying thing to sure. think that this that this could be part of who you are, that you've just been in denial. Yes. I, I mean, think that in a less thoughtful and, and sophisticated version of this story, mm-hmm. Wesley's angst and heartache at the end of the episode could be rooted solely in the fact that he has romantic feelings for Fred. Right. I can't oh. believe that I hurt yeah. you, specifically you, because of how I love you, specifically you. Oh, God, no, I don't think so. I think he would have been the same way. No, no I completely yeah. agree. I'm saying that, that in, in a weaker version right. of the story, we could have done that. But here we go out of our way to make sure that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. He's not... You know, consumed by this because it's Fred specifically. Although that does make it worse. No, that's a factor, certainly. But he would be consumed had it been Cordelia. Had it been 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 a stranger he'd never met. Had it been a woman he'd never met before, he would have felt that way. Is it weird that we rely on the presence of the police force in this episode? And and I feel Kate's absence. Yeah. Man, I don't. I don't miss her. I, I didn't don't say I miss her. I didn't say missed her. I am okay. aware of a Kate-shaped hole in the plot Fair here enough. that could have been filled by yes. her. But yes, and unfortunately, it's uh, not. Yeah. yeah. Angel arrives at Dylan's apartment. He confesses that his plan is to kill Billy. So you know, come on in. Billy wanted money, and Dylan gave it to him. He knows who Angel is, thanks to Cordelia. Billy's taking a private plane, and Cordelia is chasing him. This is great. Oh, my God. I love this. This is such a smart and unexpected version of the story. And it's so much worse because his family simply accepts this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't leave him alone this with your girlfriend? This is just how it works. You right. don't leave him alone with your girlfriend. Right. 
what kind of thing is that to say about someone? Oh, my God. There, there are so many layers of, of awfulness contained right. there. And you think about what kind of family is this? Right. You know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's just, really... Just terrible. Oh, but I love, too, that Cordelia was there. Cordelia's on the trail. Sure. She's doing the thing. Um, you know, it's, it's wonderful that we have just this, this quiet competence from Cordelia mm-hmm. all the way through. I love it. Wesley stalks Fred through the Hyperion, monologuing. His ranting takes a turn for the biblical before he finally finds her hiding under a bed. He pulls her out, pins her against the wall, and kisses her. But Fred is armed with nails and attacks him before fleeing. At the airport, Cordelia approaches Billy. She tells him who she is and tases him, holding him at bay with a crossbow. We flash to the Hyperion, where Wesley continues to hunt Fred, but Gunn arrives, leading her to safety. Back at the airport, Billy lays out his view of the world. Cordelia is about to pull the trigger, but Angel arrives, disarming her. Billy gloats and touches Angel, his influence burning red on his skin. Let me ask you this, I suppose, first off. Cordelia was about to pull that trigger, right? Yes, I kind of wish she had. (laughs) I know Angel comes in. Because there's this whole, you're, you know, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be a killer. This, you know, you don't want to have right. to carry this weight. Right. This mm-hmm. is the argument that kind of validates Angel's behavior in that opening scene. Right. It is not about capability. It's it is about- not about empowerment or about agency. It is about protecting someone who still has a spark of innocence to exactly. her. Exactly. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. may not be entirely his decision to make, but right. it is an obligation that he feels. And but I, think I do that that's like powerful. that that's how he steps in, that that's the perspective with with which he steps in. Oh, yeah. Not that you're a woman and this is my job to protect you, but it's that you still have this innocence and I will okay. protect it as long as I can. True, though we would be naive not to acknowledge the kind of literary convention that women are mm-hmm. more inclined to be innocent. In noir stories, it's always women who yes. are innocent. <laughs> That's, you know, a trope as old as noir itself. Mm-hmm. But here I do think it's a little more specific. I think they've earned some grace in this episode so. about us jumping to conclusions about the the intent and the um and the sexism that may or may not be there. I feel like this is a very, you know, very strongly feminist discussion and a very difficult discussion yeah. about toxic masculinity. Um and, you know, I mean, I like the masculine relationships that we have on this episode. I think that we do talk about feminism a lot because Mm -hmm. that is, you know, that's the thing that gets attacked. It's women that have traditionally been in this oppressed space. Um, But one of the things that I really like about this show is that we also, while, you know, promoting a a feminist thought, you know, we, we still don't forget that there is, not that all masculinity isn't toxic, right, that there right, is right. good, positive masculinity, that there are strong, positive, masculine communities, and, and we build it. Angel has, know? from time to time, done a very good job with those relationships. Absolutely. Because Wesley I think Gunn, that you can't have feminism without celebrating and understanding all that is wonderful within the masculine as well. Right. While recognizing, you know, yes, a kind of, of endemic cultural toxicity, as you said. You exactly. Know, I think that, that, yes, we have to be mindful, if nothing else. But there are still things that we mm-hmm. can value and respect and celebrate when they are present in balance. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Gunn barricades himself and Fred into a room then realizes, heartbreakingly, that he too may be infected. Wesley begins to attack the door with an axe, and Gunn and Fred try to find a way out, but it takes just a second for Gunn to snap at her. 
At the airport, Angel warns Cordelia to run, but she won't leave. This is her responsibility. Angel snarls at her and then attacks Billy, who, it turns out, has no power over him at all. Let me ask you this. Yes. (laughs) Is this playing fair? (laughs) Throughout the Uh, episode, we have foreshadowed Angel's dark nature. Mm -hmm. We did it in the very first scene. We did it in both scenes with Lila. We do it right here. We do it right with that that, that powerful act break as Billy grabs Mm -hmm. Angel and and applies his... And the red glow in his face. Yeah. Yeah. Do we play fair with the audience if it just doesn't work? Does it feel as though there's some narrative investment that has been made here that that isn't paid off um okay a tiny bit (laughs) but i think it's necessary i think that we do need um and and it does when when cordy and angel talk about it a little bit later that he doesn't have that hatred within him the hatred has been burned out that what he has is you know the love of pleasure and pain and all of that Mm -hmm. that you know that it's it's a different kind of darkness that angel has and billy can't affect that um i think the fact that angel is a vampire um, and that there is a certain kind of darkness well, which, and, and with which he struggles every day. Sure. So overpowering this kind of thing wouldn't be as difficult for him as it may be for right. just mere humans. And Billy says, I've never done this to a vampire before. This should this be fun. This should be fun. I think that there's, I think that we get away okay. with it. There are loopholes. I will absolutely yes. acknowledge that. And I do like the discussion that we get between Angel and Cordelia later. I but do. the fact remains, we foreshadowed this. Yeah. And the turn when it comes could be seen as maybe ever so slightly cheap. Yeah, yeah, no, I can I can definitely see anybody who would have that argument. At this point, <laughs> um, I am so thrilled with everything else that this episode is doing oh, no, that sure. I'm willing to cut oh, it it's, it's a minor it's a, observation it's nonetheless. It's such a minor yes. point, yeah. yeah. It's a really great moment, the turn, the attack, and of course, mm-hmm. the fact that Cordelia stands her ground. Yes. It's, it's vital within this episode of all episodes that we do not at the last moment, disempower these women. Absolutely. That we do not, at the last moment, actually allow Angel to swoop in and save the day. Yes. We give responsibility, we give agency, we give capability to Cordelia, to Lila, to Fred. Yeah. Every single one of them, in a sense, solves their own problem, yes. takes their own action. The princess and who saved herself. That's powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, it's real good. In the Hyperion, Gunn gives Fred a wooden chair leg and tells her to knock him out, which she does. Wesley breaks through the door as we cut back to the airport where super-powered Billy is now going toe-to-toe with Angel. Cordelia raises the crossbow and is about to fire when gunshots ring out and Billy drops. Lila nods at Cordelia and walks away. Why doesn't Cordelia have a gun? Mm. Because firing the crossbow into the melee might kill Angel. Exactly. If she had a gun, she could just unload bullet after bullet after bullet. But guns are never useful. And they don't keep guns. Well, I think guns might be useful I under think, certain circumstances. Well, I think in this particular instance, Lila's gun is incredibly useful. Go. I also love the fact that we've been foreshadowing Lila's Chekhov's gun since right. like season <laughs> one, you know? So that's been really fun. It was fun to see that finally come into play. Yeah, Cordy having a crossbow, I feel like the types of weapons that our investigators have are weapons that do not overly affect the the power differential you know yeah that even with a crossbow you are still dealing with you know it's it's not a gun it's no, not right you know, and quite we've that, talked yeah. about the burdens of power unearned over yes. on buffy and i think that to a lesser extent that holds true in angel mm-hmm. too though there are 
certain circumstances yeah. where a gun would be very useful, where any weapon that wouldn't kill Angel exactly. would be very useful. In exactly. Fact. Like you think if, if your boss is a vampire, right? I think the crossbow is pretty much the first thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could make the crossbow bolts out of... Out of metal? Yeah, right. we could just, make them out of steel, out of, out of titanium. No no wooden bolts is right. what I'm saying. No sharp, pointy wooden things. That, that's literally all I we ask. Generally. Well, Vampire Osha has got to get on this. <laughs> like, Angel packed that cabinet himself. Exactly. <laughs> this is his responsibility. It is a great, a powerful, a shocking moment. And yet, it's shocking in the moment. It's such a surprise, you know. Um... And then we turn and there's Lila. And of course, of course it was going to be Lila. I love that. Can we talk about Charles Gunn, a.k.a. the finest man in the world? Oh, my God. That realization as it comes over him is so hard to watch. Oh, my God. And he does a beautiful job with it. J. August Richards, in that moment, you can see everything on his face because it's this terrifying moment where he knows he's being taken over by this thing that he cannot control. And when he gives her the chair leg and says, knock me out, you know, um, it is such a valiant act. Um, I, I love it. It's He's so good. Just and it's fantastic. so sad. It's so sad that moment where he says, oh, so it comes from the blood. You mean the blood, the handprint that I just touched? <laughs> <laughs> and that realization where he's trying to get out, but then Wesley's there. All of these lines of conflict are drawn internally and externally. Yeah. So tight. So beautiful and, and again, efficient. It's wonderful. As Angel doesn't save Cordelia, as we don't remove Cordelia's capability there, as yes. we don't remove Lila's capability there, so we don't remove Fred's capability either. Fred mm-hmm. is not... Damsel. Yes. At the end of this episode. Oh, which I absolutely love. Because honestly, if Gunn had returned to the Hyperion and just saved her, if he had just incapacitated Wesley, honestly, I mean, realistically, watching the episode, we would have been fine with it. When we sat down to record the podcast, we would have said, well, wait, wait, would it have been more effective? Right. If... You know, Fred had taken care of business herself. Mm-hmm. If she had had actually had her agency preserved, we we would have talked about it in those kind of mm-hmm. abstract, hypothetical terms. But to have it present here in the episode, to yeah. have it so effectively employed, it, it works. It is absolutely. This is one of the few episodes where I don't have a suggestion of what they might have done to make <laughs> it just a little bit better. These well, guys, well, maybe okay. have one, one or two. These guys know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're saying. They intend to say what they're saying. It is not an accident that Lila is the one pulling the trigger with Mm -hmm. Billy. And it is not an accident that that Fred rescues herself. And that Cordelia is, exactly. And that Cordelia is the one who who finds him. Cordelia is the one who inspires Lila. Yeah, I guess maybe if I was going to do a last minute rewrite, I might make Fred's trap a little less Home Alone and a little more It Mm -hmm. Also Makes Toast. (laughs) A little more It Also Makes Toast. Because with Fred finally trapped, Wesley approaches her but he forgot about her ingenuity and a rigged trap drops him through the floor knocking him out after the gentle yes. application of a fire extinguisher to his head. Oh god, head. I love it. I love it's, it's, it. It is, is a, a little, little home alone. It is a little home alone but I actually <laughs> I like it because the contraption that also makes toast would have slit Wesley into no, Sure, so, yeah. but, but a, a happy medium a between those house two. Between yes. Those, yes. Back in the training room, Angel and Cordelia talk about Billy's influence, talk about the hatred that has long since been burned out of Angel's soul. They practice their swordplay as Cordelia remarks how strange it is to be creeped out and comforted at the same time. That's just how we do. 
<laughs> this is a great bookend scene. This is wonderful. I yeah. love, I love we open up with them training in the basement. Cordelia's being empowered. And we end with them training in the basement, you know? And it feels like it's narratively complete. Yeah. It feels as though we've done everything we're going to do. And then you look at the episode running time and realize there are still four minutes to oh go. Oh, my God. And maybe your the heart breaks just a little bit. Yes. Because later, Fred knocks on Wesley's door. He opens it and apologizes. He doesn't want to come back to work. He doesn't know what kind of man he is. Though Fred, at least, still believes that he's good. They say goodbye, and as Fred listens outside the door, Wesley weeps. This is such a gut punch oh my God. at the end of the episode. This is so tough to watch. It's so tough to even think about. I know. It's so emotionally true. And of course... This is a Whedon show, and Whedon yeah. shows excel in one very specific regard, which is their willingness to engage with consequence. Oh, absolutely. That it's not Wesley, anybody else had had that happen to uh, them. Xander. Wesley would say, exactly. Xander, post hyena monster. Wesley would be the first person to say, You were possessed, you were yeah. under the influence, it's not your fault. But when it is him, yeah. the idea, the very idea that this might be part of who he is, when he says to her, I don't know what kind of man I am. Yeah. That is one of the most heartbreaking things because this is a poison that has has gotten inside mm-hmm. and that he has to deal with that. He has to live with that for Absolutely. the rest of his life. He's he is both a victim and, you know, I mean technically, although under possession, I don't think he is, but victim and perpetrator. Like he has to deal with both sides of that trauma. Right, it's but, just but heartbreaking. As we can accept that that Cordelia is not responsible for what happened to her, but also understand her desire to take responsibility. Exactly. That that speaks very well of Cordelia. I yes, think. it does. And similarly, this speaks very well of taking Wesley. responsibility for it. Absolutely, and it's it's not fair, but it's it's what he has to deal with. It's and what he has to face. We also just talk about how beautiful this sequence is. Oh my god. The shot of Wesley simply getting to his feet and approaching the camera as he moves toward the door. We hold that for so and long. all of those crumpled up pieces of paper, the, the letter that he's writing to Fred. Oh, that's interesting. You think yeah. that's a letter to Fred? I've always read it that way. I read it as a letter of resignation. <gasps> this is his. Too. Oh, my God. This is his, you know, Giles leaving Sunnydale. Oh, my God. It's too hard to say goodbye in person. I am gone now. I can't come back. Yeah. yeah. Oh that, that's my how God. I read it. But but it, you might no, be right. It might I be think, a personal letter to Fred instead. I think I like yours better. <laughs> I do, because it's even more heartbreaking. It's so powerful. Oh, and my God. And again, just knock out performances. Oh, and when... When he leans against the door and yeah. just breaks down. Yeah. Oh, my God. It is honestly, this is, I think, the most effective moment of Angel in the entire run for me. I don't know. Mm. We got a lot of stuff to go through, so maybe not. But this is this is the moment when when I was watching it through the first time that I was like, oh, so these guys are serious. Yeah. And it was in this moment that I was completely in that I loved this television show and, you know, and followed it all the way through to the end. This is absolutely something that, that Angel has never done mm-hmm. before. Yeah. It does show a new, a new maturity, a new courage. Yeah. You know, even the fact that, that Billy was foreshadowed a couple of episodes ago. Oh, sure. you know, we, we built up to this. Mm-hmm. And when we bring him back, it's not in any way a disappointment. It's oh, not in yeah. any way, you know trite Mm -hmm. this is a real and legitimate threat not just to the the lives of the investigators but to their identities to their selves oh god yeah it's 
it's heartbreaking to watch. Oh, God, it is. And it's so beautifully realized and beautifully expressed. And yes, once again, we have to live out our consequence. Yeah. We don't get to just pick up, dust off and say, this doesn't change who we are. What do we make of Fred's forgiveness, of the way that Fred sees Wesley in this moment? Oh, is yeah. this convincing? Is there an argument that she has been perhaps a little too, a little too perfect? Um, No. No, I don't think so. Because I think that anybody in that circumstance would say you were possessed by something that is not in your control. That is a very clear... Okay, yeah. When you say anybody, you mean anybody within Buffy and Angel who has yeah, had yeah. experience of it's, such it's things a very, before. Yeah. It's a very yeah. clear philosophy that, that what yeah. you do when you are not in control of yourself is not your fault. And I know who you really are. And I think that I think that it's absolutely consistent with Fred's personality. Yeah. That she would forgive completely. No, I, I believe that she would forgive. There may be an argument that it's 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 an ounce too easy. She's the she's fact, recovered maybe a exactly. little bit too well. Yeah. She says it's been days, mm-hmm. you know, so, so time has passed and she has apparently recovered. She has apparently healed. She is physically healing too. Right. But I wonder if giving us a little of Fred's mm-hmm. hurt and and, and trauma. anguish and betrayal and, and sure. whatever it is that she's feeling, giving us just a little of that as a counterpoint to Wesley mm-hmm. might have even, you know, heightened the moment oh, still God, further. Oh, God, that would have but... killed me even more. I don't know that, I don't know that <laughs> no, my heart true. could have taken There's it. There's not much more that we I could do I don't think my scene. heart could have taken it, yeah. Let's move on to what I'm sure is going to be a very brief conversation because we have to put this episode, Billy, on the big list of every Angel yeah. episode ever. As I said, there are currently 45 stories mm-hmm. on the big Angel list right now, and a good two-thirds of them are mm-hmm. perfectly solid episodes. Any immediate gambits, any any immediate ideas about where Billy falls on the list? Number one with a bullet. Number one with a bullet with some clear blue water below it. Absolutely. This is the best episode of Angel that we have seen to date. It is the most accomplished. It's the most well-written. It's the most well-understood. And all of that while addressing things that are very difficult yes. to talk about. Yes, exactly. Very difficult to address <laughs> and to do that. And you know what? And here's the thing. Like... You know, I always get very excited when there are women, you know, behind the creative force when they're telling these stories. I want to just say, you know, we've got a man directing. We've got three men writing, although one of them uncredited. Um, I love that men told this story and they told it as well as they did that to me um it gives me like i i feel very good about men i like men i think men are awesome (laughs) there are a lot of really great things that men do um and i'm impressed with men on a daily basis i am married to one of the best men i have ever known um but that these men were able to tell this story and tell it in this way with this level of of understanding and just god compassion yeah, yeah um i find that so i don't know it touches me it makes me happy and hopeful um yeah. and uh, and so i'm so grateful to to these men for telling this story in this way um it's it's just beautifully done this is the the ginger rogers of of writing an angel yeah. episode because mm-hmm. this is the backwards and in heels version <laughs> Of telling this story. Yeah. Not only is it incredibly technically impressive, it's also so much harder than it needs to be. It is so much harder. You're absolutely right. We get series high performances. We get series high visuals. We get Mm -hmm. series high writing, dialogue. Yeah. 
it, it's just fantastic. It really is. One of the most important and impressive episodes in all of Angel. If Billy isn't top three by the end of the show's run, I'm going to be very surprised. I honestly, at this moment, and I understand that this is because I'm I'm coming off of having seen this episode and been just blown away by it. I cannot imagine any other episode of Angel. When I look ahead, there are, there some are good a couple ones that I think might be serious contenders. That might be contenders, but I got to say, Billy, as as difficult and oh god it's so difficult as wonderful as this episode is as good as this episode is it is never easy to watch it's never easy to engage with but man that's some serious storytelling worth every minute yes that'll do it for today we'll be back on thursday with our thoughts on episode six of season six of buffy all the way in which dawn takes her shot at that rite of passage of youth ladies and gentlemen It's a floppy-haired douchebag. I know. What a surprise to see that happen. (laughs) Then next Monday, Darla returns with some unexpected news. Well, unexpected to Angel. We totally know she's knocked up on episode seven of season three, Offspring. (laughs) If you've got thoughts and would like to share them with us, and I'm sure that you do, (laughs) please visit storywonk.com slash contact for more information on all the ways to get in touch. Or follow at Storywonk on Twitter for the latest updates, announcements, and phallic-shaped weapons. (laughs) One of the questions that we get asked a lot here at Storywonk is, how do I make my own podcast. So we've decided to teach a class. You can sign up now for your spot in Spoken World, a beginner's class that will teach you everything you need to know to get started with podcasts, with audiobooks, with lectures, with anything you want to do on the internet. Bring your questions to the live session on December 6th at 9pm Eastern and I will walk you through the basics. Register now. Spaces are limited. Go to storywonk.com slash classes for more. Until next time. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusty.